Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings, uh, we've been teaching on the subject of how to develop the love of God in you. We have used as a theme scripture in this uh, particular portion of the love series, we have used uh, John chapter 15 and verse 12 as a theme scripture, which says, this is my commandment that you love one another how as I have loved you. This is my commandment that you love one another as, in the same way, as I have loved you. So we're talking about developing the love of God. So we gave you a definition and have repeated it a number of times. I'll repeat it again. To become larger, definition of the word develop. To become larger, fuller, better. To grow, to evolve, to disclose, to show or work out by degrees. So it is a process in our life. We're working it out by degrees. To reveal, to make known gradually, if it were an instant process, probably most of us would have already arrived at that, uh, but it is a process that happens over time as we grow, as we grow up in Christ and grow in the love of God. So he says, uh, to make known gradually, he said in photography, to put an exposed film or plate or printing paper in various chemical solutions in order to make the picture visible. So the goal here is to get the image of God, the love of God uh, that is on the inside of you uh, to be exhibited on the outside. In your lifestyle, in your attitude, in your words, in your actions, uh, the way you respond to people uh, in love. And so God's, God's desire is what's on the inside to come to the outside in the way of fruit, fruitfulness. So that's been part of the series that uh, we are able to bear fruit and we're able to pr produce the fruit of love. Praise God. Uh, is that Pam right there? It's good to see you, Pam. Praise the Lord. And so um, you can bear the fruit of love in your life. Love is uh, referred to in Galatians chapter 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. So we've looked at a number of different things that you can do to develop the love of God. And the first point we made was to meditate on the scriptures or meditate on the word of God concerning love. The second thing that we have pointed out is that you can obey God's commandments. We quoted that commandment. Uh, this is my commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. And we could go on, but we have covered it, so we'll go uh, go on further into this evening's message. So, uh, obey God's commands. Obey the love commandment. Then number uh, three is uh, to practice love. Practice the love of God. We said that practice makes perfect, or perfect practice makes perfect. Of course, we gave you scriptures regarding this. No man has seen God at any time in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. So the one way that uh, the love of God is perfected is by doing. Or we develop in the love of God by loving and if we walk in the love one time, we learn to do it better the next time. If we walk in love again, then we learn how to do it better the next time. We grow in this 
uh, development process, and we're more perfected in the love of God. As we've said, the love of God is perfect, but you are being perfected in the love of God. So there's no improvement on the love of God because God's love is pure. But you are improving in your ability to express it. Does that make sense? All right, so next we, we talked about praying that God's love would increase in you. Praying that God's love would increase in you. We've given you some scriptures regarding that. I'll review just one of them, one verse. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. So the Apostle Paul had set an example. He said, now do what I'm doing, basically, even as we do toward you. So God can make us to abound and increase in the love of God toward one another. There is an abundance of God's love available, and we can have an abundance of God's love within us and flowing through us. So now we want to look uh, in this particular passage in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sure you're there by now, right? Ephesians chapter 3. And in this particular passage, I'm going to read this prayer of the Apostle Paul, which... Uh, this particular prayer, there are numerous prayers in the New Testament. Some of them we uh, have noted uh, in the series, but uh, some of them are, are a little more uh, unnoticed. And, uh, but this one is one of those that is, uh, we would say, more of a, a predominant prayer in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And uh, so in this particular prayer... In Ephesians chapter 3, this is one that I've been praying for many, many years and intend to do it for the rest of my life, and I would encourage you to do it for yourself. You can take a prayer like this and pray it for yourself. You can take this prayer and you can pray it for your children or your husband, your wife. You can pray this prayer for a friend, or you could even pray it for someone that has chosen somewhat to be your enemy. You know, we're to love our enemies. We're to pray for them that even despitefully use us, right? So then uh, you could pray this for sometimes believers who are walking in the flesh or not really walking in love or just uh, for the fact that they just need to improve on it. Uh, so you can uh, pray this prayer for other believers as well as yourself. Uh, you could pray this in a more general sense for the local church here at Word of Life Christian Center as a body. And I would encourage you to do that for yourself for others that are closer to you and in the general sense. I would be glad for you to pray it for me because we're all growing, right? So we pray it for one another and we pray it for ourselves. So what do you, what do, you do when you pray this prayer? How do you pray this prayer for yourself? It's just a prayer that's right there. It's already spelled out for you so you don't have to get super creative. In other words, you personalize it. It begins in verse 14, he's saying what he's doing. In verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm bowing my knees for this cause unto the Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So there's a family of God in heaven, there's a family of God on the earth, and we're all one big family. Some people have gone on to heaven and some people are still here, but we're just one family. Let's go to verse uh, 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now the love of God is something that's within you. The love of God is in your heart. Your spirit has been born of God. In 1 John, it says in chapter 4, God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God. Verse 16, dwells in God and God in him. So your spirit, if you look at the whole context uh, there, you see that you're born of God, you're born again, you're born of God, and God is love. So God being love and you being born of him, you have what we could say uh, illustratively, uh, God's DNA. Uh, let me give you a scripture that kind of would uh, make, make some argument for that or uh, clarify that. In Ephesians, uh, it also says, in Ephesians chapter uh, 5, it says, Be ye therefore imitators of God in the Amplified Bible. Be ye therefore, in the King James, followers of God as dear children. So uh, the Amplified Bible says imitators of God as dear children. So you are children of God and you can imitate God. And the reason being is that you have his nature. Which then you could go to uh, Peter as well. And Peter says it this way. You've been made a partaker of the divine nature. If you look at the context there, you can see that you can grow in the love of God. But you have within you the capacity to do it. You have within you the nature of God, which enables you to walk in the love of God. All right, so in, in this uh, particular verse, uh, he's praying that you would be strengthened with might by his spirit, where? In the inner man, in your inner man, in your spirit. If you uh, study the New Testament, you will find that uh, it is a predominant phrase in the New Testament, in the spirit. In the Spirit. Over and over again, you have this phrase, in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And so, being in the Spirit or walking in the Spirit or living in the Spirit is really so key to living a Christian life. Well, it's also key to living in the love of God. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, in Galatians chapter 5. So then he contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, and the first fruit of the Spirit being love. So walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, and just being in the Spirit, getting in the Spirit. You know, you are a Spirit, but you're not always in the Spirit. I said you are a Spirit, but you're not always in the Spirit. If you were always in the Spirit, you'd be a lot more spiritual. All right, so if you were always in the Spirit, you would be more consistently walking in love. And so living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is going to uh, cause you to walk in love. Now, what is Paul's prayer here? He said that you would be strengthened with might or mighty power by the Holy Spirit or by God's Spirit 
in your inner man. So there is a strengthening that can occur, and this is a prayer. He's praying that we would be strengthened. So then you can personalize it and say, Father, I pray that I would be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit in my inner man. If I'm praying for Minister Linda, I would say, Father, I pray that Minister Linda would be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit in her inner man. If I'm praying for Charles, simply I pray, Father, that you would strengthen Charles by your spirit in his inner man, that Christ would dwell in him by faith. All right, so then you're praying that the inner man, the spirit man, would be strengthened. There's always one dominant part of you. I'll say it again. There's always one dominant part of you. There are three parts to your makeup of your person or being, your spirit, soul, and body. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. But not always are you living in that order. Sometimes you can e- even hear preachers quote it, or you can, and they misquote the Bible. They'll say body, soul, and spirit. In other words, they'll reverse the order. Well, that's really what happened in the fall. Sin reversed the order. Adam originally was created as a spirit created in the image of God who had a soul, lived in a body, and was controlled by his spirit, the inward part of him. When he sinned, he fell. Spiritually, he died, and the order was reversed. Now his body is ruling his soul, and his spirit becomes pretty much dormant. So then God in Christ has reversed the order. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body. So God's order is spirit, soul, and body. That's the way you are created by God to function from your spirit through your soul, and then you express who you are in your body. So then Paul's prayer is that you would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in your inner man because if your inner man is strengthened or strong, that part of you will become dominant rather than your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions becoming the dominant part of you. And if you would examine your life, you will find out that there's one part dominating at every moment of your life. Distinguishing the difference between your spirit, your soul, and your body is the beginning of you learning how to get that spirit part of you to become the dominant part. And when you get the spirit part of you dominant, and when you slip out into your soul or into your emotions, and you find that your emotions are dominating you too much, then you have to reel back in and say, wait a minute, I know who's in charge, and it's not my emotions. Or I know who's in charge, and it's not my flesh, or it's not my body. So... Your spirit man must be strengthened. So Paul's praying that you would be strengthened with mighty power by the Holy Spirit in your inner man. Then he says that Christ would dwell or settle down or abide in your heart by faith. That Jesus Christ would settle down in you and just dwell in you so much so that you just get filled with him. Full of Jesus. Hallelujah. Understanding that Jesus is expressed through your soul. So if you've got soul problems, there's going to be certain filters when Jesus is coming through. In other words, some of Jesus 
doesn't get through. Because there's a filter in your soul, and you, th- you filter things the way you think. So that's why we have to get our minds renewed. The more we get our minds renewed, the easier and the clearer we can express Jesus Christ. All right, so then your spirit man becomes dominant, and then our minds get renewed to the Word of God, and the more accurately we are going to express the love of God in our life. So strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in our heart by faith. Then he says that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Now the, the main meat or message of this verse is love. That's, and the message of this prayer is actually love. So the reason you're wanting to be strengthened in this particular prayer with might by the Holy Spirit in your inner man is so that you could then be rooted and grounded in the love of God and that you would know, that you would know what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height and know the love of Christ that passes all knowledge. In other words, you know something that passes natural understanding or knowledge Remember, knowledge puffs up, but love, what? Edifies. So if you are just basing your relationship with God on knowledge, knowledge is powerful, but knowledge that's not laced with love can be dangerous. In other words, you become radical in your thinking in a way that is not healthy. But if you are knowledgeable and it is filled with the love of God and the love of God, see, speaking the truth in what? Love may then what? Grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. When you're speaking the truth in love, then growth, spiritual growth occurs. But when you just speak knowledge that has puffed up attitudes what ends up happening is you speak with pride. But when you are speaking the truth in love, and it's always coming out of a heart of love for people. Now, we have to re-examine and re-examine our attitude and our motivation in all of life. Because if you don't, you'll find yourself thinking you're spiritual, and you're not very spiritual at all. And then somebody with meekness needs to maybe help you along the way in your spiritual growth. Because if you just get prideful in your attitude, then it's really not the love of God. All right, so let's go back to this. I won't spend a lot of time there. I hope we don't need to. So in this verse, he's saying that you would be know what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. So that's everything that Jesus has done. In his death, in his dissension, into the depths of the earth, into the heart of the earth. And that's a big deal right there. Just, just that part of it. What is the depth? What is the breadth? What is the length? What is the height? How high Jesus went. How low he went. He descended into the deep and he ascended up into the heavens. So then... What Jesus has done for you is complete in redemption. Redemption is complete. And you find your completeness in him. 
who is the head of all principality and power. So the complete work of redemption is involved in this verse because it was all done because of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus died for us. It was an act of God's love. It was an act of Jesus' love. And we are now to love even as he has loved us. We are to love others. So how are we going to know this love? Well, in this verse, in these verses, you find out one of the ways that you're going to develop in this love is by praying that this love would be in you. That you would be rooted and grounded in this love. A tree or a plant is going to thrive based on the soil it is planted in. And how well it is nourished. You could put the same tree or one just like it in a certain environment, in a certain yard, in a cer- with certain restrictions, and then put the same tree in, just like it in another yard that had a, a, a better environment, better soil, better uh, treatment. And this tree would flourish and this tree would, you know, be stunted in its growth. I'm going to just use Pastor Andy as an example. You know, in communities in Las Vegas, it is not uncommon when they build houses, they build track homes, and they'll put one tree in the front yard. That's kind of their aesthetics, you know. They don't want to landscape the whole property. They just put one tree with gravel, you know, and a rock. We, we call it, you know, landscaping rock, you know. It's just rock. All right, so it's rock, and they put one tree there. It's pretty, a pretty reasonable way to landscape a, a home and give it curb appeal, and it looks nice. It looks good. You got a tree. You, you got some rocks and maybe a few shrubs, maybe. All right, but they put one tree there. So in Pastor Andy's uh, development years ago, they put one tree in his yard. The next neighbor got one tree in the yard. They got the same kind of tree Pastor Andy got, didn't he? Next, next yard got the same kind of tree. Next yard got the same kind of tree. All of those trees developed at different, uh, different uh, growth. His tree grew, developed, was green. Why? Because he put water to it and he put fertilizer to it. He fed it. He nourished it. And so his tree grew up big, and the other trees were stunted, and some of them didn't even make it. Am I right? All right, so you can put uh, the same tree, basically the same tree, same size tree, And Christians are no different. Spiritual growth is no different. If you nourish them properly and they get what they need spiritually, then they're going to grow and they're going to thrive and they're going to flourish. And if they don't, they're going to be emaciated or they're going to be limited in their growth and they look like they need water. They look like they need some nourishment, right? Because they're not getting what they need spiritually. They're not going to grow properly. So, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him. Because we're rooted and grounded in him. We're rooted and grounded in the love of God. And we're growing up into him who is ahead, even Christ. That's Ephesians 4. So then, God wants us to continue our growth pattern and our growth process 
And one of the things he wants us to grow in is the love of God. So one way we're going to do that is by praying that this prayer right here, just praying it and being consistent with it. You know, some things are prayed once and some things are prayed for a lifetime. And this is one of those prayers that you pray for a lifetime. And uh, just so you know, you're not going to get beyond this spiritually. <laughs> it's like, oh, I got that one. No, you'll have to come around again with this one and come around again with this and come around again. Why? Because spiritually, you have to remind, be reminded and spiritual growth is just like that tree in Pastor Andy's yard. He may have a nursed tree. He may have a thriving tree, but Stop watering that tree, stop fertilizing that tree, and see how long it lasts. It'll last a while, but then the results are going to start coming out, aren't they? What's going to happen? Things are going to start dying, and eventually it'll be a dead tree. Even though it's got good roots, but if it's not nourished over time, it's not going to thrive. Well, spiritually, if we don't nourish spiritually or don't get the right uh, nourishment in our life, we're eventually going to die spiritually and not really going to thrive and be fruitful as a Christian. So as a Christian, we want to continue our growth, don't we? All right, so praying this prayer is, we would say, essential. Since some things are essential and some things are non-essentials today, uh, we would say this is essential. How many agree this is essential? All right. Rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, passes knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Be filled with the fullness of God. Well, God is filling his church, filling the body. And actually, if we want to get very technical in this passage, he's really praying corporately for the church. He's not just praying for an individual, although you can pray it for an individual or you can pray it for yourself. But he's praying it corporately for the church at Ephesus. So it would be appropriate to pray it corporately for sure. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. Now God is able. Now as we do we pick verses of scripture out of context. And we apply them and in principle we can. But in context this verse is related to the rest of the verses before them, right? So in context, he's talking about the fullness of God. He's talking about the love of God. He's talking about being filled and rooted and grounded with the love of God in the love of God. And then he says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Listen to the last phrase of the verse. According to the power that works in us. In fact, we do not emphasize, most people that preach that verse do not emphasize the last part of the verse. The emphasis is on God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And they leave out the last part of the verse. They don't even quote it most of the time. I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you the way it is. 
if you pay attention to what people say. Uh, and, and it's, boy, it's a good preaching verse. I love to preach it myself. And I've probably preached and said things like this and said the first part of the verse and left the last part out. But I'm telling you, the last part is key in context. And the power of love is the greatest power that's in your life. It is a power that will keep you, preserve you. It'll hold you steady. And no matter what's going on around you, the love of God, knowing the love of God, the power of that love in your life, and being rooted and grounded in the love of God is going to be a keeping power, staying power. It'll be a securing power, and it will be an empowerment in your life that enables you to overcome no matter what comes, comes your way. He's able to do exceeding abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us unto him. Oh, so now we know the motivation here. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. So the goal here is to give glory to God. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. So we're glorifying God. Why? Because we're walking in the love of God. The love of God is in us, but now the love of God is coming through us. So praying this prayer, we would call an essential. And I would urge you to pray this prayer regularly for yourself. I would urge you to pray this prayer regularly for your spouse or for your children or for your parents. Pray this prayer for people that you are close to, people that are in your circle, so to speak, people that you relate with, people that you love. Pray this prayer for people that maybe are not so close or people that maybe you have some challenges in your relationship with them. What generally we do, because when I say we, I'm talking about people in general, uh, people do, is they, uh, they talk about the problems that they have in their relationship. They point out that this person has certain uh, traits that causes you and them to have conflict in relationship. Am I telling the truth? Rather than praying this prayer consistently for about 30 days for them. And then maybe praying that prayer in the same uh, time, praying that for yourself because you might have a few blind spots in that relationship and you're thinking it's them and it might be you. I'm sure nobody in here could uh, identify, right? No, sure we can. We can identify if we start praying this prayer, then light starts happening. Light occurs. And when light comes... It enlightens you to your shortcomings as well as to your abilities. Now, God doesn't just point out your shortcomings and your lack of love just to criticize you. But light enlightens you to your lack of walking in love, but it also enlightens you to your ability to walk in love. Revelation knowledge is going to show up your shortcomings, but it's also going to show up what Jesus Christ has done for you, in you, and wants to do through you. Hallelujah. So he's not doing that to criticize you. He's doing that to build you up and edify you and tell you what you can do even though you're not doing it. Am I helping somebody? 
All right, so walking in love is an, a lifelong process. And so no one has arrived. No one has gotten to the uh, perfected state where they are perfect, 100% perfect in all of their love walk. So it is an ongoing process of growth and development. So therefore, we must continue to pray this prayer. And you may not pray it every day for the rest of your life, but I would encourage you to have at least seasons of praying this prayer. I've been praying it for, you know, 40 years. And I have seasons of praying it. I go back and pray it again and pray it for a while. Why? Because I know I need it. I know others need it. So it's pretty consistent prayer in my life for the church and for people. And I would say it'd be a good time for, for us to do that for ourselves and for the body of Christ. And for the church at large. That'd be a good thing, right? You know, the body of Christ, not just the church here at Las Vegas, the church uh, at Word of Life, but uh, the church world, that we would just grow up in this and we would walk in the love of God. Unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of lack in this area. Unfortunately, I mean, people that would call themselves very spiritual, when it gets right down to it, there's very little of this. And it don't matter how spiritual and how even you can preach. This will tell on you eventually. It don't matter how anointed you are, how charismatic you are, how amazing you seem to people. <laughs> you know, because, you know, we live, when I, even in the body of Christ, we live more by personality than people think. They're attracted to personality. And, uh, you know, we, we get that, but just don't overdo that because personality can be deceiving. <laughs> but truth is never deceiving. And love is never deceiving. It's always enlightening. Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit, listen, wants us to have this sincere love, this love of God in our hearts. So one way that we're going to develop it and in our lives and be perfected in it. And see, I'm not saying those things critically. I'm just saying, you know, if you don't face things in, in, in a realistic way and look at it based on the Word of God... You can have all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of ideas, and you can call yourself a Christian. But it doesn't necessarily represent Christ. And I'm not in this for just having labels. I hope you're not, right? That we're not into this Christianity thing just to have the label. You know, years ago... Uh, my, my mother-in-law, she had some of these cans on her counter, and it was old cans with old labels of vegetables and so forth, but they didn't have anything in the can. They were just labels, just decor. It was just decor for the kitchen. Well, listen, Christians are not just decor for Christianity. We're, we're not just, you know, ornaments, you know, just kind of hanging out just to say, look at us. Christians are Christ people, people who are in Christ, who reflect and who are the image of Christ. And that's really what God is looking for, Jesus in us. You know, when I was a teenager, uh, there was a movement called the Jesus Movement. And they called them Jesus people. 
They weren't perfect people, but they were Jesus people. What does that mean? They just fell in love with Jesus, and they wanted to serve Jesus, and they wanted to follow Jesus. They had a lot of issues because most of them came out of drug background, all kinds of what they called free love, free sex, free everything, nothing you pay for, but it cost them a whole lot. And their only answer and hope was in Jesus, and they found Jesus, and Jesus found them and changed their life and changed their world. And and, uh, many of them are preachers and pastors and have been for many years. Some of them, of course, at this point have retired, and some of them going on to heaven. But the reality is Jesus showed up and changed and transformed their life. Weren't perfect, but God transformed their life. Amazing grace. And God's still into changing people's lives. But he needs people to release themselves to him in order to transform them.